Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode, June 23rd, 2019. I am your host, Gabby Fox, and this is Mental-ish, a podcast to get your mind right. Welcome, Dr. Even Alexander and Karen Newell to Mental-ish podcast. I'm a big fan of Dr. Eben, and I've been reading about Karen for the last week and learning about a little bit about what she does with Sacred Acoustics. So I do have one question is, I I read the book so many years ago that uh, I had no idea that Dr. Eben had gotten remarried, I'm, I'm assuming? Well, uh, yes, uh, Karen is my life partner, and uh, I did end up uh, getting a divorce. Uh, which happens in about 80, 85% of NDEs, but uh, yes, so Karen and I are together. Gotcha. Yeah, I would, I mean, I'm sure after having an experience like that, your, I don't want to say personality changes, but you're just on a totally different level of consciousness, perhaps, than you were at the beginning or duration of a relationship. Well, that's true. It, It can change a whole lot of things, although uh, just briefly, I would point out that I think uh, my marriage before, we were in, in some difficulties, so we, we knew all that, and that was well before my coma. Uh, there are other factors involved. But anyway, we're still very close friends, my former spouse and I. And uh, I would assume. So it's all good. All good. Okay, so, so I was actually watching a little bit of, of YouTube uh, clips about your new book, and I do have a question that's been on my mind. So you talk a lot about reincarnation, which I've always sort of believed in. I don't believe that we just die and then our souls go sit up somewhere in a cluster and, and just kind of hang out. Mm-hmm. Um, but you talked about your sister that had passed away that you had never known in your first book, Proof of Heaven, and that that was the girl that you met when you had your experience. Right. So, I guess my question is, if reincarnation is, in fact, a thing, are our loved ones not going to be in heaven when we pass because they, their energy is, is now being uh, utilized in another life form, or are they there? It's a beautiful question, and um, the real answer to it has to do with the profound importance of relationships. You know, none of any of this existence matters other than how we interact with our fellow beings. Uh, That's the most important thing. And uh, what I recognized on my journey is there's a very different ordering of of time flow and what I would call causality in those spiritual realms. Uh, But reincarnation, I mean, people may take 50 years to come back to this world from Earth time. uh, And it never, ever happens in such a fashion that a soul would not be available when a fellow soul passes over. Uh, it's, it's one of the biggest kind of misunderstandings about reincarnation. People worry, oh, what if my loved one is already reincarnated by the time I'm going over and they're supposed to be there to welcome me? That's well, that- exactly why I asked the question, because my grandmother passed 20-some-odd years ago, and I can't even really talk about it still to this day without getting upset because I was so close to her. Uh-huh. And, and when I read your book, it helped me so much. I can't even tell you because I did believe in God. 
but you're just never sure. You're never sure what happens to them when they pass, and you hope for the best, and you read the Bible, et cetera, and you, you, you know, I'm not super religious, but I am spiritual, and I just wondered, you know, when I pass, obviously I've always looked forward to reuniting with her, and I'm sure a lot of people feel that way about their loved ones, and when you spoke about reincarnation, that was just a thought in my mind. Right. Well, I, I wish every time I've ever mentioned reincarnation, I'd clarified that at the outset, because it's a very common question. It's a very valid concern when people start to realize the scientific evidence behind reincarnation. Right. But I think more importantly, uh, it kind of stresses the fact that the only thing that matters in this world is how we interact with our fellow beings. And certainly the love connections, connections with our loved ones are very strong and are fully represented in that whole issue of reincarnation. So there's no way that a soul would be unavailable uh, by having already reincarnated. But a huge part of it is understanding that time flow in this realm is very much part of the fiction. It allows for us to live these lives uh, and this drama and have skin in the game uh, by kind of buying into this earth time uh, motif. So anyway. But in addition to time, there's another thing that really helps me with this topic, and that is to imagine that each of our souls is much grander, much larger, more expansive than we can imagine here in our human bodies. And one theory puts forth that it's only a piece of our soul that really enters a human body in the first place. So the larger part of our soul, in whatever personality it's been before, for example, your grandmother and you, you have a very special bond. That can never be broken. She would never not be there for you. Even if another piece of her has moved on to another experience in another body, she will always be there as your grandmother. This is something that we, we must understand, is that our souls are much grander than we think, and we're much more capable outside of our bodies at being in more so-called places than one. And so that's another That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I would hope that she would, her energy and her spirit would be utilized elsewhere because she was such an amazing person. Mm -hmm. um, so that kind of goes into one of my other questions uh, about your son, even. Um, your younger son, Bond, I believe is his name. When you were uh, about to come out of your coma, you spoke about how you had heard all this, all these noises and all this muck, but one voice stood out to you, and that was a, a young boy, and you thought that that was your son, and that was sort of the defining um, connection that maybe really brought you back, like, I can't be here, I can't leave him. Do you think that that was, like, God speaks a lot, well, the Bible, which is supposedly God's word, speaks a lot about that children are extremely sacred and that they have a stronger connection um, because of their, their sort of, I guess, non-bias and innocence. Do you yeah, think that was the... You know, the heavenly realm. They've mo mo most recently come from the heavenly realm. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, yes, they have a, a very kind of easy connection uh, with that realm. But I think it's important to point out, uh, you know, one of the unusual features of my coma experience was complete amnesia. I had no words, no language, no memories of Earth, no memories of Evan Alexander's life. Every single bit of my knowledge of being human from before the coma was gone 
during the coma. And that amnesia is unusual. You normally don't find that in near-death experiences. And yet in looking back on my case over many years of study, I've come to realize um, that that amnesia was crucial. It, it was uh, an essential element for me as a neuroscientist, as a neurosurgeon, to come to a deeper understanding of the relationship between brain, mind, and the nature of consciousness. And the best way to demonstrate that to me was to give me that amnesia. But my point in terms of this conversation is that I had no idea who that being was. I, I had gone through this entire experience, deep in coma, thinking that it could all come to an end, could keep going, didn't matter. Uh, by having no memories of my life before, no responsibilities to other souls, I could be truly fearless. Uh, and that fearless condition was a, a strength throughout this entire journey until the very end. And then that's when I saw those six faces kind of bubble up out of the muck. They were very important because they turned out to be faces that, uh, for the most part, were uh, part of uh, family and friends who were there the last 24 hours in coma. So they served as, served as a time anchor to help show that the rest of the coma experience happened between days one and five when my doctors had very clear evidence from my Glasgow coma scale, my neurologic exams, my scans, that my neocortex was horribly incapacitated. And that's why the neuroscience world takes my story so seriously, is because of the damage I had and the fact that I had this robust, ultra-real experience in spite of it all. But the, the deep reality there is towards the very end of it, when I saw these six faces, I had no idea who they were. Right. Uh, and my former spouse, so one of my physicians, who was also a friend and neighbor, um, included uh, Susan Wrenches, who was never physically there. She was a family friend who, uh, from 120 miles away on the fourth and fifth nights of my coma, would channel to me. And of course, before my coma, I would have told you any talk of channeling is nonsense, but she was as real as anybody else when I was in that coma and when I came out of it. And I mentioned to family and friends, and Susan's here too, right? And they said, no. But she did channel to you on those fourth and fifth nights of coma from 120 miles away. To me, it made perfect sense. But the bottom line is that the last face I saw of my 10-year-old son, Bond, I had no idea who it was. I did not understand the words. But he was pleading with me, Daddy, you're going to be okay. Daddy, you're going to be okay. And that was on that Sunday morning when he had overheard the doctor's conference where they said, I hadn't shown any signs of improvement on, on seven days of three powerful antibiotics. They were recommending stopping the antibiotics. And that's when Bond realized this is bad news and came running down, Daddy, you're going to be okay. And somehow that message got through to me, even though I had no idea who this being was. My amnesia was still in absolute full force. But I knew from that pleading tone and the emotional connection, I had to come back for him. This was the greatest source of fear in my entire journey, because now it didn't matter. Uh, no longer was I safe with the assumption this can all cease. It doesn't matter at all. I now had a connection with another soul that was crucial to my existence, and I had to come back for him, whatever coming back meant. Right. Well, and I, I'm sure that other people that have had experiences like yours, they've probably felt some sort of or felt they had some sort of purpose to be brought back. Um, you know, that was about the only only purpose driving me was the strong realization that I had a responsibility to another soul and that I had to be there for that soul. Even though I didn't know it was my son, I didn't know what that kind of relationship even meant. 
uh, because all my memories of this world were gone at that time and had to come back, which they did very slowly over about two months after I woke up from coma. Everything came back, which is a real surprise. Well, and that makes sense that that would happen when we pass because otherwise we would pass with a lot of sadness. We would carry a lot of sadness with us thinking about all the people we left behind. So maybe that's his, well, God's way of kind of like a gift, sort of not. In that case, it was very unusual because normally in near-death experiences, you don't encounter this amnesia. You have people who have a full memory of their life and relationships, and it sets up this, this uh, kind of stage for their life review, for their, um, uh, you know, reuniting with souls of departed loved ones, etc. And that was just not to be the case for me. And, and I only came to realize in retrospect why many months later, but to kind of cut to the chase, uh, if I had scripted all this, my father would have been there first and foremost. He was incredibly important to me in my life. I, I basically modeled his life and my life and trying to follow in his footsteps. As a neurosurgeon, he had passed over four years before my coma. He was nowhere to be found at all during my NDE. And that's the part that was such a mystery to me. And, you know, in fact, I felt what a what an incredible ripoff of the universe that I had this extraordinary journey showing me the power of the spiritual realms, and yet my father isn't even there to greet me. Uh, and it turns have you, out, have you come up with any sort of possible explanation? Totally, and that's all explained in our third book, in Living in a Mindful Universe. I talk about a meditation I had more than two years after my coma, using uh, binaural beat type technology like sacred acoustics, but an earlier version of it. And I encountered my father again. And that's a very profound story, uh, absolutely shocking. I've developed a beautiful relationship, not only with him, but with the soul of my birth sister, the other important guardian angel on my journey. Uh, and they serve a tremendous role to me even now in my daily meditations. But I first encountered him about two years after my coma. And finally was able to really discern why he was not present, or as he put it, he could not be apparent to me. His little double entendre uh, joke of words there could not be apparent to me during my NDE, because if he had been, I would have been more prone to default to the simplistic explanation that you see who you want to see on your way out. That's why it was so important, as those who have read Proof of Heaven will realize, is my guardian angel, the spirit it was guiding me on this journey with someone I did not even know at the time. It was, uh, you know. Well, I look forward to reading this, that story in the third book. I've just started it, um, and I received it from, from your secretary, so that was lovely. Um, so going into a little bit different of a question, this was just sort of an observation that I made because many people question does hell really exist? Does heaven really exist? What happens if I don't repent for, you know, things that I've done, et cetera, et cetera. I've never really bought into the, the concept of hell per se, but when you were going through your experience and I was reading about the earthworm realm, um, that it was sort of this mucky sort of primordial goop. And there was a lot of, um, not fear, but just like where, like what is this place? Right. To me, it almost seemed like a sort of purgatory, like a place where you went and you sat there and then you were sort of 
brought up when your consciousness was allowed to be brought up. Um, but I think perhaps that's, that's, that's the lowest realm. Like, I just don't think that there is, I, I, I don't know what your viewpoint is, but I'd love to hear about it, uh, about hell, heaven and all that. It's pretty straightforward, really. Um, and that is uh, the life review. I mean, if, if you read a lot of near-death experiences and especially read them across many cultures uh, from continents around the world, uh, and in fact, from reports going back thousands of years, uh, for example, you can go back to the writings of Plato 2,400 years ago about the Armenian soldier Ur who was killed in battle. And after a few days dead on the battlefield, he was finally put up on a funeral pyre. And at that point, he came back to life. And what he reported to his fellow soldiers is that when you die, you go through a review of your life and you find that the only thing that is important is how much love you have managed to manifest for self and others. This coming from an Armenian soldier 2,400 years ago. Uh, and that echoes across many other uh, near-death experiences, life reviews, which reportedly happened in more than 25% of NDEs, and you know, 15 million-plus people in the United States have probably had near-death experiences. So that's a lot of life reviews. Uh, and the life review basically is where you reunite with your higher soul and you go through the important residual lessons of your life, either for good or bad, you relive those events of your life in perfect detail. Uh, and the thing about a life review that's interesting is you find out that many people describe it, uh, that they experience it not as them, quote, selves, but as the, the other being that was influenced by their choices and actions in this lifetime. So the life review is a perfect example of how our sense of self in many ways is a fiction. We're sharing the dream of the one mind. And in the life review, we have to feel the impact of our actions and thoughts on others as they felt it. And that's why if you've been busy handing out pain and suffering to others your whole life, that life review is not going to be a very pleasant experience. But the interesting thing is we're not judged by some external force. This is, in, in a life review, we've reunited with our higher soul, often in the presence of uh, souls of departed loved ones, and with that infinitely loving God force of pure love that is so reassuring in the majority of NDEs, that incredible force of love, comfort, of being home. And so it's in that setting that we go back, and, and in especially any of our mistreatment of others is glaringly raw in that. But we're not judged by anyone else. It's really our higher soul kind of pointing out to us the wrongness of our ways from mistreating others. So I would say the life review uh, is is what I would say explains notions of hell that have come through religious systems going back thousands of years. Because if you've been busy handing out pain and suffering, it looks especially bad to you during the light and love of that life review. So, but there is no such thing from my point of view as eternal hell and damnation. Uh, this is all a work in progress. That's why it takes multiple incarnations to work towards that oneness with the divine. You can't do it in one lifetime. Uh, but that's where when we look at ourselves as these much bigger beings that are going through multiple lifetimes, all in this process of learning, teaching, and growth towards oneness with the divine, that more fully explains our mission here on Earth as human beings and humanity at large. Yeah, so so part of my, my show and the things that I'm involved in is I'm a mental health professional. 
And I, um, but I have a strong sort of uh, passion for the things that are going on in the world and what I perceive as the evils that are going on in the world. And I do believe that there is good and evil and that human beings can be evil. Um, and that, you know, it comes from some sort of negative energy. So the universe is supposed to be perfectly balanced, which means that there are, there is divine good energy and then there is the opposite. And going back to, you know, the heaven and hell thing, my, my sort of pain point is that I see what's going on in the world, you know, with the human trafficking, the child trafficking, the pedophilia, the, the sort of like crimes that I just can't as a human being stomach. And then I wonder, you know, is this the reason why a lot of people are losing faith and are sort of stepping back away from God and not really believing and becoming very cynical and just going back to that whole evolution theory that, you know, we evolved from, from cells and then we became monkeys and now here we are. I just don't buy into that. We're just too advanced. So my thing is with my mental health background is I, I don't want to preach at people, but I want to figure out a way to reconnect them to that higher consciousness without, you know, also making room for, yes, there is evil in the world, but no, these people are not going to die and burn in hell. They're just going to be sort of shown, like you said, as in a life review, what they have done. And that's been my whole, I don't know, focus lately. Is because the world is really, parts of it are a dark place right now. Well, we, we both can kind of speak to this, but I'd like to start by just saying that Something that we feel very strongly about is that the materialist model, the idea that only the physical world exists, is an incredibly pervasive worldview in our culture right now. And it has completely stripped away any idea of a spiritual connection to something larger or something unseen. And the reason for that is because that type of thinking in our minds belongs to religious organizations. And religious organizations have certain dogmas, they disagree with each other, and blah, blah. Many of us has, have moved away from that organized religion for many, many reasons. But what's happened is that that has created what we call a spiritual vacuum in our society. There's no value of the internal world, and there's no value uh, put on emotions and feelings. And when you go and, you know, if you have issues like this and you go see a mental health professional, very often, especially if it's a psychiatrist with a medical degree, they give you prescriptions and they tell you that, you know, you have a chemical imbalance and this will fix your problems by adjusting the chemicals. And to us, this is completely backwards because we're ignoring, and it's not like these people aren't also going through talk therapy and things like this, but I can tell you when my stepfather was suffering with depression and anxiety, he was given pills and sent home and said, wait a few months, they'll start to work. He ended up killing himself with those prescriptions uh, sometime later. He I'm so sorry. Did, yeah, it was a really uh, striking thing for me because my daughter in high school was going through similar issues at the time. And all the doctors wanted to do was give her these medical uh, pills, prescriptions. And I wouldn't allow it because in my case, my daughter was actually abusing those same prescription drugs. And 
I was concerned she would do something that my stepfather had done. And I learned years later after she graduated from high school, she told me that I was correct. She was looking for a larger supply of uh, medications that she could use to abuse and potentially take her own life. And so this idea that medications can fix our chemistry, I think has really done a disservice to our world. And what, we, what you exactly said, we completely are in alignment with. The idea that we can connect ourselves to something greater than who we are here in our physical bodies can do absolute wonders. In fact, our recordings of sacred acoustics last year were used in a pilot study. And uh, when people listen to these recordings, they have brainwave entrainment technology to help bring the brain into a calmer state. Once people were in that calmer state, we actually measured over a course of time a reduction in anxiety of 26%, which was rather remarkable. And in the same uh, group, there were patients getting psychiatric therapy alone without the tones, and their anxiety decreased by 7% over that same time period. So just by adding this habit of listening to recordings, people had these amazing types of experiences. And one example I can give is Children who were being treated by acupuncturists in two different states, both of these acupuncturists wrote to me, they were treating teenagers and children who had attempted suicide and failed. So they were still with us. And so they were getting therapy to heal. And as they were doing this with the acupuncture, they were listening to the recordings that we make, these sacred acoustics recordings. And these children were saying things like, if only I had felt this feeling before I tried to kill myself, I never would have tried. Now I know I'm connected to something greater than myself. This is something that we feel very strongly about in, in uh, relation to flipping this paradigm that we're seeing in our world. There is more than our physical existence. And when people start to realize that and science begins to support it without the framework of organized religion, I believe this spiritual vacuum will start to be filled and people will start to realize there is more hope uh, than they currently realize. Absolutely. I, would, I would just add to that that um, I think a huge part of the problem is uh, one of the assumptions in reductive materialist science is that we're dealing with all these separate objects that are interacting. And everything is looked at as separate from everything else. Um, whereas a more modern kind of quantum physics approach to this is acknowledging that the universe is really one. And anytime we separate out any part of that universe and pretend it is truly isolated, we're just introducing confusion. Uh, in fact, the, one of the deepest lessons that comes out of modern uh, quantum physics, uh, as well as uh, an understanding of neuroscience of consciousness and philosophy of mind, is that we're really truly dealing with one mind, that our consciousness is something we share. Uh, the scientific evidence for things like telepathy is very real. Uh, things like precognition, uh, you know, the evidence for remote viewing. There's a tremendous amount of evidence for what's called non-local consciousness. And this is something we discuss in our book, Living in a Mindful Universe, is uh, what we call the primordial mind hypothesis, which really kind of takes the scientific data uh, and flips it in a way that's very useful. Um, and that has to do with acknowledging the one mind that we all share. This is something near-death experiencers would agree with because that's what they've experienced kind of on the other side in that life review and that unification with that God force, with that uh, uh, infinite healing force of love. And, and this is where things start to really open up in terms of our capabilities of healing ourselves and healing this world 
is acknowledging this oneness of mind that we're all bound together through the force of love and that unconditional love has infinite capacity to heal. I came back from my journey realizing that it's not correct in my mind to see uh, the forces of good, the forces of evil, that they're locked in this battle and that maybe someday the forces of evil could win because in fact I saw that that apparent darkness and evil is just the lack of light and love. And I saw that unconditional love actually has infinite power uh, to overcome that apparent uh, darkness uh, and evil. And it's really because the only positive force in there is the light and love. And it can easily replace and supplant uh, all of that uh, kind of darkness and evil out there. But it really is for us to bring that love into our lives, love ourselves, love our fellow beings, and by serving as conduits for that love and that heart consciousness, as Karen has shown me so beautifully, that's how we can change this world. I, I agree wholeheartedly. I actually um, am in the process of building a program. Uh, I have suffered from anxiety most of my life. My mother suffered from anxiety, and her path, unfortunately, was alcohol and drugs. Um, and so I didn't have a fun childhood. And my, my goal since I was a kid was I'll never be on pills. I saw what it did to her and other people. And I think that it's just a very dangerous band-aid to use for mental health. Your, your consciousness and your brain is so much more than just some chemicals in a vial. And you can't just, you know, there's a reason you're feeling that way. And it's not just chemicals. You're, you're a human being. And um, part of the program that I'm creating right now is actually, it's a live coaching program that incorporates some natural ways of dealing with anxiety. It's called the empowerment method. And it, it sort of takes a bunch of different modalities that are um, behavioral based, uh, a little bit of spiritual based, and then natural remedies. You know, I, I have a list, a laundry list of natural supplements that also help uh, with anxiety. Ashwagandha root, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of that. But there's things that, yes, can sort of help with the inflammation in the body and, and help sort of calm uh, the anxiety. But I think the root of it is figuring out why you have it in the first place. And when I went through your website, Sacred Acoustics, I was thinking of ways that I can integrate that into my program um, because I... I haven't gotten into listening to any to the recordings yet, but I've read all of your uh, literature on it, and as well as the, the studies you spoke of. And I thought this is perfect for what I'm trying to help people accomplish: is that you can go through years of therapy, you know, talking about your anxiety to death. You can go and get Xanax. You can do all of these things, but where is the, the comprehensive solution that sort of takes all of the different facets because we are complex beings and brings them all together into one sort of machine that works together in a natural way? Well, one thing we often say is there's no way out but through. And so very often, you know, when we're dealing with anxieties from childhood and whatever things that triggered them, we all have them at, at different levels. Uh, we all have them. 
And things happen in childhood that set patterns for the rest of our lives. And so when we can kind of sit back and uh, start to notice what those things are, it's very important. We're used to suppressing them. So I know when I was a child and I, I would be crying, it was like, stop crying. You know, you can't cry. Okay, stop crying. But then what? How do we then process whatever feeling we have? What we end up doing is just suppressing them. And so something that happens very often, I know it happened for me, when I first started listening to these brainwave entrainment types of technologies, and I think uh, many types of meditative practices can do a similar thing. Once you start to get quiet inside, you start to notice. You start to notice the anxieties that you put away even more. And when you can develop a kind of neutral perspective of that, listening to the tone seems to uh, make anxieties rise up. It's almost like they're triggering whatever already is in your system. And so if you can practice having a neutral mindset where you observe your thoughts, where you observe your emotions. From the outside. Yeah, well, from the inside. You, you, there's something we call an inner observer. And if you can practice recognizing the part of you that notices yourself thinking, that's your observer. And so when that internal observer starts to kind of look at everything from a neutral perspective, then there's an opportunity for these anxious feelings and emotional traumas to actually be released. And it's not like you have to go through years of talk therapy. You can simply sit back and let that observer take note of different anxieties and emotions that are arising and allow them to be released. They don't have to be attached to a story, although so many of us want to analyze, well, where did that come from? Why am I having that? That can often hold us back a little bit. Certainly, some of that is necessary, but if we get too hung up on that story, we stay stuck in whatever that event was. And so the tones and are certainly a valuable way to help people get into that quiet state. Here in the Western world, we hear about the benefits of meditation, but I know when I went and sat to try to quiet my mind, it was very challenging. I really was hard. Yeah, a very busy project manager. I was raising a teenage daughter who was very challenging. And uh, all I would do is have these imaginary conversations or lists. And so when I started using different types of sound, it helped to quiet the mind and give me a chance to really harness the uh, mental capacity that we all have that's behind all of those racing thoughts and emotions. Yeah, it almost gives you something else, something else to focus on so that, that that background voice of yours that's sort of uh, spinning out of control and overthinking things and overanalyzing things can um, right. take a break. Or that voice is saying, you're not good enough, right? Or even if we try to make a change in our lives, that voice is saying, no, you're a failure, you'll always fail. And that's the voice that we want to quiet. That's the voice of the ego. And there's something else behind that, and that is our consciousness. And we're actually teaching, Evan and I and the psychiatrist in New York who performed that pilot study last year, this fall in 2019 in October. I saw that. Yeah, we'll be in upstate New York and California, two separate week-long programs where we're going to teach practitioners of all kinds how to integrate these recordings into their practices. There are no strict rules, and so it makes it very flexible for people to, like you're saying, you have this program you've developed, and you can figure out a way to work in something. The thing is, is we can, we can take supplements, we can read books, we can 
talk about our problems, but until we actually start to shift our energy, not our chemistry, but our energetic being, and that is composed of our thoughts and emotions, when we can start to shift that energy, that's where we can start to find real change. And we found from my own personal experience and many others who have written to us who tell us that when they start to pay attention to their internal world, when they start to learn to quiet the mind and to really find that essence of who they truly are behind all of that, then with more focus on the internal world, the external world starts to change. And without kind of forcing it to, by focusing on the internal world, outside things start to kind of take care of themselves. And the only way to find this out to be true is to try it for yourself. We can tell you till the cows come home, but each of us needs to take that inspiration, take that motivation, and start to make the steps of learning what their internal world is really all about. No, I completely agree. And um, touching back on the spiritual part of it or connecting to something bigger than yourself, a lot of these people that are, are struggling in the world that are sort of um, taking their pain and externalizing it onto others or, you know, having feelings of depression or suicide or whatever, it's because they do not, they have been possibly treated badly by those who are supposed to love them or they have been in environments where they were abused or hurt and they do not feel loved. They do not feel like they matter. They do not feel, they feel like they are just here to be hurt or, or to be the sounding board for someone else's pain. And so I think the, the baseline of everything that is in my program is that you don't have to believe in God. You don't have to follow everything the Bible says. You don't need to worship Jesus if you don't want to. But what you, what you have to get in touch with is that there is some higher power than you that definitely created you. You are not an accident. You are not something in a Petri dish that evolved into all of this. Um, and I think once people can get in touch with that, somehow, however they need to explain it to themselves, everyone's journey is different and everyone's sort of beliefs are different. Um, that's where the, the big change starts to happen. And as you said, you can take all the supplements in the world. For me, what I've noticed with a lot of people who have been out of balance for many years is their hormonal levels are so out of whack that they're barely functioning. And sort of the supplements are a nice way of calming that down and then in conjunction with uh, doing like something like sacred acoustics, uh, auditing the people around them, making sure that they're in the presence of good energy. You know, there's a lot of different modalities that I incorporated. Then you don't need the supplements anymore because you fixed the root of the problem. Yeah, in conjunction with is the key word there. It's when people think they can just take supplements or any substance at all, and that will fix their problem. Yeah. So even psychiatric meds in some situations are necessary. So I want to be clear there that yeah. we're not saying never take a pill. It's in conjunction with do mm -hmm. these other things. And do the let, work. Yeah. yeah, let the power of both methods play the role. But you spoke to something that I feel very strongly about, so I have to pipe in here with this idea that people don't feel loved. This is a 
huge, 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 uh, if not universal problem for all of us. Um, we feel so alone when we feel like we're not loved and we think everyone else is loved, but we are not. And it's not the case. I can tell you everyone we meet has felt some level of not feeling loved or not feeling appreciated or good enough. And so we have a solution for that. The, the, the truth is each of us, as you said, were made from love, uh, whether or not it was a, you know, consensual sexual act that the idea of conception is a union that ideally is brought together through a loving connection. And so each of us has this opportunity to be born of this energy. Now, if, uh, that's not the case. If we grow up in an environment that's abusive, where our parents aren't capable of delivering that love, what I've learned over time is that those parents are also victims of not feeling loved. And Absolutely. so, yeah, each of us has this. Now, what the solution is, is not to wait around for our parents and those others who have failed all these years to give us that love that we feel we should have. The solution is that it is contained within each and every one of us. And I like to bring up the HeartMap Institute in California because they've been studying scientifically the heart for many decades. And what they've learned is that our hearts, each of our hearts emits an electromagnetic field in the shape of a torus. So it comes out the top of the head, around the body, it's constantly moving. It expands and contracts based on our emotional state. And so a loving, kind of happy emotion will have a large, expansive field, whereas a sad, angry, or, or grief-filled uh, energy will, will be a much smaller field. But this field actually affects the people around us. And it's very interesting to realize that whatever emotions I'm holding in my system are affecting the people around me. And so some people can say, well... I don't want all those icky heart fields, you know, with all those anxiety-filled emotions to be affecting me. How can I protect myself? And the answer is you, you really should be thinking more about what am I putting into my heart? And so there's many of us who really haven't learned what it's like to be loved. And so it's very hard to generate that love from within. So the solution that HeartMath uh, mentions and that we have found from personal experience works is to... Think of something you feel gratitude for. And even if you've never been loved by a parent and you're so abused, you at least may be grateful for the food that you have, the shelter that you have, someone who spoke kindly to you at a, at a, in a line in a grocery store. There's always going to be something. Maybe it's a beautiful sunset. For many people, it's animals. Dogs are, and, and cats and, and horses have this amazing ability to make I'm us a feel big animal lover. Yeah, so for me, it was dogs, puppies were what got me to do this. And so when I first started to generate feelings of gratitude in my heart, I couldn't do it. I could think of things and I could rattle them off, make lists, but I wasn't feeling them. And it really took a while. It took some practice and I would lie in bed, falling asleep and try to think of things I was grateful for in order to generate a feeling. And eventually it worked when I remembered uh Memories of when my dog, a uh, stray dog that my mother took in when I was six years old, gave birth to puppies under my bed. And this was magical to me. All of us will have something. And I, I'm sure there will be people out there who say, no, nothing. Well, that's when you really have to start looking for those daily things that, that are, you know, very much things we need to be grateful for. And when you can start your practice to 
feel that gratitude, you are amazed that the kind of things can happen. Now, some people use our sacred acoustic tones to get into that state. Many times you'll trigger emotions that you need to kind of release first before you can get to that point, or potentially it's sort of a back and forth kind of process where you release a little and feel a little more. But I guarantee you there are people out there who have felt this absolute amazing force of unconditional love without having to have a near-death experience. As you may know, many people with NDEs report that feeling. And we don't have to wait until we die. That love is available for us here. And we need to take the bull by the horns, literally, and start to generate it from within. We have, you know, you mentioned this externalization where we'd like to project and blame everyone else for our problems, including the idea of, of, of being loved. And it's very easy to stay stuck in that victim mentality. But the truth is, we are all responsible for our consciousness. We are all responsible for the feelings and emotions we have. Our reactions to the things in the world are completely our own personal responsibility. And as we go through our difficulties and hardships, it can be very challenging to remember all of this. But as we all know, when we get to the other side of those hardships, we find that they taught us the most amazing lessons that we never would have learned if we'd been sipping champagne on a yacht our whole lives. So, Yeah, and I think um, going back to that, uh, that externalization a little bit is, you know, even when sort of everyone around me is being a shit, let's say, if I have that connectedness to a greater love and a greater uh, power, I don't feel alone. I don't feel uh, scared. I feel like no matter what, he or it or she or whatever you want to refer to it as has my back. And that if I can take that energy and that, that vibe and just hold it for myself, regardless of what's going on around me externally, I'll be okay. So yeah. I think the main thing is getting people back from believing that that doesn't exist mm. is key to helping a lot of mental health issues. For those who have this issue with believing in God, I was one of those people. I didn't want to believe in a God because I thought then I would have to believe in all the dogma that came with it. And that was challenging. So for me, the, the best thing was to, in the very beginning, we mentioned this idea of reincarnation, that our souls are much bigger than we think. And so what we're able to access here in our bodies is so small. When you go within, and as you were saying, connecting to something greater, for me, I think of that as the greater part of myself. And myself, my greater expanded soul, is connected to other people's expanded souls. And so... This is a very helpful kind of stepwise way of realizing, well, if you can experience yourself as grander, then as you're going through your life and you enter these hardships, it's yourself, your higher self, expanded self that's helping you, that has your back. And as Eben says, that is connected even to a greater one mind that we're all connected to. But we can do this stepwise. We don't have to go right to the one mind. We can go to oh, there's an expanded part of myself that I can access. And that is the energy that we're talking about. Well, and to kind of close a little bit, one of the quotes that uh, I read from Evan, I believe it was in one of his blogs, was that uh, spiritual is not necessarily religious, but simply an admission of the connectedness we all share 
as well as a sense of meaning and purpose of our existence. Right. I think those are the, the, the real ingredients of spirituality. Uh, and they basically give us that, uh, that gift of connection. And uh, from my point of view, this is a, a tremendous lesson to the world. Uh, you know, in all these discussions of brain, mind, and consciousness, um, people can get very confused about things like free will um, and about mind over matter. And yet, I would say in the world of medicine, we've honored the reality of acknowledging mind over matter as reality through placebo effect. For more than 60 years, placebo effect has dominated how we assess any new treatment or modality uh, to see if it's worthwhile. And, and that acknowledges that roughly 30% of the benefit of any kind of medication or treatment can be alleviated just by the patient's belief that they can get better. Yeah. Uh, and and so it's not just a sugar pill getting rid of a headache. If you go to the Institute of Noetic Sciences website um, and put in the search term uh, spontaneous remission or spontaneous progression, you'll find a book that they published in the mid-1990s of more than 3,500 cases of extraordinary regressions of cancer, infections, yes. congenital diseases, et cetera, all because a patient believed they could get better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so really, it's all about our acknowledgement that our mind has tremendous power. And don't think your mind is that little voice in your head, the little ego voice that only has fear and anxiety. Your consciousness, the big mystery, is that inner observer that Karen was talking yeah, about. It comes from the heart. It comes from the heart, comes from your sense of love, from the soul. It has to do with your bigger mission. And uh, all of us have access to this primordial mind and to the much grander aspects of ourselves which allow for win-win situations and love benefiting all and this is where i think this awakening of humanity to counter the uh, kind of bleak and barren fiction of materialism and its false sense of separation is going to be a real gift to this world all of the hardships and uh, kind of darkness we see around us and conflict is something that we can reverse we have the power to overwhelm that and bring this world together through a sense of love, mercy, compassion, kindness for others. We can absolutely turn this world around. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I can't wait to finish the third book. I've just started, as I said. Uh, anyone who's listening, I encourage you. I've been telling people about this book for years, but uh, when I've had people in my life that were struggling with something, such as sadness, uh, death in the family, um, uh, not feeling connected. I have given away five copies of this book so far and just went out and bought another one. Um, read Proof of Heaven. If you really loved it, read Map of Heaven. It's a little bit more technical, um, and I will definitely uh, do a review and, and let everyone know what I thought about the third book that I'm currently on. I thank you guys so much. You know, living in, yes, mindful living in a mindful universe is the third book. And I would also advise your listeners that you can learn a lot about that third book in a free companion uh, kind of online workbook. It's a 33-day email course. If you go to uh, evanalexander.com, there's a banner wiggling in your face, your 33-day journey into the heart of consciousness. If you click on that, leave your first name and an email address. For 33 days, you'll get main concepts out of the book, one each day by email. And each day has uh, people from all over the world participating in a comment section below. 
So we've started a community, more than 7,000 people have taken the course to date from all over the world because it has a translate button. I highly encourage your listeners, it's all free and it includes a four sacred acoustics offerings, a very powerful uh, gift to this world, that uh, 33 day course. That is amazing. I did not see that, but I am going to do that. Um, I'm definitely gonna encourage others to do it as well. Um, well, I'm excited about that now. So I just want to thank you. I can't tell you how amazing this has been to talk to you. I mean, years ago, your book really took me out of a dark place and also helped me with an old wound with my grandmother uh, who had passed and sort of gave me some peace. Mm-hmm. And I just can't recommend, I can't recommend the book enough. And, and please, if anyone is curious about Dr. Eben, Google him, look up everything that he's done. Uh, he's just an amazing human being. And I think both of you, your energy together is awesome. And you guys are, are doing a, a great service to, to this world. Thank you. Thank, thank you very much. And it's, thanks for you what you do. Yeah, as you're well. doing a great job getting this word out there. And I think the only thing I'd like to add is every soul is important in this. No soul left behind. Every single being out there plays a role in this awakening of humanity. So uh, everyone has their purpose. Yes. Well, you guys have a wonderful day. I hope you all enjoyed listening and uh, we will talk next week. All right, Gabby. Thanks so much for having us. Bye-bye. Thank you. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I was nervous the entire time. He's just such an impactful, amazing individual, and he made he made such an impact on my life personally. Um, I've dreamt about having conversations with him and getting to connect with him and ask him, you know, some of those questions that I got to ask, and I'm sure I could have sat there for hours and talked to him. If you'd like more information about Dr. Eben, go to his website, ebenalexander.com, and check out all of the things that he's involved in. He's not only written books, he has some other things um, that he has to offer the world as far as knowledge. And as he said, he has that 30-day email uh, program that you can get into that's free, which sounds pretty amazing, and I'm definitely going to take him up on that. Any of my links, you guys know where to find me. Gabby Fox on Instagram, Gabby underscore Fox underscore, and Facebook, GabbyFox.official. I will see you guys next week. Next week's episode will be a bit more worldly event and tiny bit of politics, but still on that, that mental-ish vibe. Thanks for tuning in, guys.